Before we get to this week's episode, we just wanted to quickly swoop in here and remind you that while this show will always be free, we also have a Patreon where you can get even more fun fandom stuff. So if you visit patreon.com slash the fandom show, for a couple bucks a month, you can listen to episodes early, you can get random fan mail from us, um, you can check out our nerds letter, which talks about the things that we are nerding out about that we don't talk about here on this show, or you can listen to our patron exclusive, The Fan Club, where Steph and I show each other movies that one of us loves and the other has never seen, and uh, we watch it live, and then you get our live reactions to it. Um, this month, we watch Speed, which Steph had never seen before, or as Steph calls it, Fast Bus. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so you, you want to check that out because it's a very fun episode. Um, once more, that's patreon.com slash the fandom show. But you're also already doing the most supportive thing you can do, which is just listening. Thank you so much. And let's get to the episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Stephanie Malik. And I'm Kaya Green. And today we are infecting your brains with the delicious content mushroom that is The Last of Us Part 1, Ooh. the video game. Ooh, good job, Steph. Thank you. That was nice. Thank you so I much. I really didn't have a pun for this one, and I'm very proud of you. That was that was awesome. Guess what? I love mushrooms and talking about yeah, them. Yeah, me uh, too. So on this episode, we actually don't have a guest that has come on yeah, because... we're doing one of these again. The Last of Us is one of Kaya's biggest fandoms. Hell yeah, it is. Uh, so for those of you who've never, ever played this game, The Last of Us Part 1 is a action-adventure game developed by Naughty Dog and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. They then remade the original 2013 game uh, in 2022, which has revised gameplay, enhanced combat and exploration, uh, and the single-player story follows Joel, who's tasked with escorting a young Ellie across a post-apocalyptic United States and defend against cannibalistic creatures infected by a mutated strain of the Cordyceps fungus. Ooh. Ooh. You also might know some of this plot because it has recently become an HBO show. I don't know if you've heard about it. It was only <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it was only everywhere all the time. Yes, that's right. Uh, so leading into this episode, I can't play this game. It's too scary. Yes. Every time I play this, you you kind of leave the room because yeah. you are not a big fan of horror, which is fair. I'm not, uh, I'm also what they traditionally call a coward, um, <laughs> as I believe I have said on this show before. Um, but uh, but you really have never played all the way through this. No. Uh, I know that we, we have tried to play through it with some friends up at the beginning um, of the game. I just, driving while things are trying to chase me, is no bueno. It's big I stress. can't do it. It's it makes scary. me hurt in the tummy. Yeah. Um, but you know a lot about it. I watched the show. We watched the show together. Yeah, so you have uh, seen basically the content of the first game. Yes, which uh, is... Give or take. Yes. There are obviously changes, and which I explained in detail in <laughs> the episodes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, but it's... Uh, I enjoyed it, and I also appreciated that because the story is from uh, I'm not driving. I'm not the one having to go and hunt down these these creatures, right. it's easier for me to enjoy. And I think that the TV show, we'll talk a bit about it. This is primarily about the game, uh, but we will touch on the TV show a little yeah. bit. Um, but the TV show just made it a little more 
the, the zombies, quote unquote zombies, were present, but not so threatening all the time. Right. So I got to really get into the story, the characters, yeah. um, which is a way that I could appreciate your fandom and got to connect with you about it. Yeah, that was one of the things I was most excited about when I saw that there was a show coming out. Because for me, I never felt like I needed it. Like there are some things that I, I think about all the time. Wouldn't it be amazing if that got adapted? And I've never felt that way about The Last of Us because I feel as though it is so good the way it is. Um, um, and I'll get into sort of the reasons why later. So it never felt like I needed the adaptation. And I was more worried that it would not be great than anything. But I was so excited that you would get to see this story. Yeah. And other people would get to see this story. And it's now kind of trippy as a long-term fan of the game to see people who aren't gamers have opinions on Last of Us. I can't even imagine. Because, like, for the games that I'm a fan of, they've they've done adaptations of sorts. But they've never been, like, of the main stories and right. my characters, my story, like my Dragon playthrough. Age. Yeah, Dragon yeah. Age. Like, I've, I've never gotten to see that specific game adapted. Right. So there must be, like, a ton of fear in that. I We're going to get into okay, it. Okay, okay. Okay, so let's pretend someone listening to this has never heard of this game somehow. They've existed in this world without ever hearing about Last of Us. I mean, if you're not a gamer, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, how would you how would you pull them in? What okay. Is the, what is the hook, line, and sinker? So uh, I think... Now that you've described sort of what the game is, yeah. what I think is really important to note about Last of Us as a piece of a pop culture entity is that this game came around um, at a time when what Neil Druckmann really wanted to achieve was sort of something. Who that? Uh, sorry, Neil Druckmann is the. Uh, <laughs> I'm already getting too specific. That's I okay. Say, uh, the the joy of this show. Um, <laughs> Neil Druckmann is the creator of the game. Okay. Um, he's sort of like the auteur behind it. There's obviously he's a the ton. naughtiest dog. Yeah, well, mm, sure, yes. Um, I don't really know the exact company hierarchy at Naughty Dog. Okay, fair. He's the director of this game, um, and he was the creator of the concept. There's obviously a lot of very important people that uh, helped him do it, but he's the easiest person to pinpoint as the creator. Um, And he wanted to sort of bring really deep storytelling back into games. And this was like, I, I will admit right off the bat so that nobody gets sad about this, I am not a hardcore gamer. Um, this is actually like one of the few fandoms that I have that is a, a game because I just didn't have game consoles for the longest time. Yeah. In fact, the the first game console I ever bought was uh, off our uh, pal Ashley, um, who came in and did our Matrix episode hey. um, to play Last of Us Part Two. So I don't have a ton of game fandoms, um, and I can't tell you exactly the history of sort of how we led to this point. But um, The Last of Us, as sort of a cultural object, is often considered one of the best video games of all time, certainly one of the best cinematic video games of all time, and one of the best game narratives of all time. Um, In many, many polls, many, many awards, um, they're just... It's it's collected accolades over the years of people who have like widely announced the first game, Last of Us Part Two, as just one one of the most singular achievements in gaming uh, in the century that gaming has existed. So you said um, Last of Us Part Two. Sorry, Last of Us Part One. Okay, because I was going to say we're not talking specifically about Part Two, but. People are divided. Yeah, and I I will say I would love to do an episode about part two because it's actually uh, where I fell even more in love with this series. Um, But for the sake of keeping the show safe, um, because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. Kai is doing this for you. I just want you to know (laughs) that we are not talking about the second one, which we could go into. Yeah, I have... 
for you a and million you're spoiler opinions. free. I have a million opinions about the second game. So many of them positive because I love that <laughs> game deeply to my very core. Um, but I don't want to spoil anything because that will be the second and third season of the show. Yeah. So we're going to avoid any spoilers for part two at all. If it's mentioned, it will not be a spoiler. All right. We will be spoiling a little bit of the first game and the show. Yes. Um, so bear in mind, if you've not played this and you do not want spoilers... Go out, get that game. Yeah. Or if you haven't watched the first season of the show, this will only cover the first season. Go out, watch that show. Yeah. Play that game. Um, so yeah, just it's, it is it, it is an important thing in the history of gaming and just in how video games have been made. So how did you get so into this? Okay, so... you're not a big gamer. I, you know, I, I really and like And you're games. not a horror person. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't seem like a game you would like. Well, here's the thing. I'm a monster person. I'm just, again, scared mm. of everything. Um, so I do actually really love monsters. But I think uh, what happened was I had friends who kept telling me I had to play it. And so one day in the winter, my roommates at the time... You did it at the darkest time of the year? That's so scary. Totally. Uh, so my roommates at the time, Phil and Galen and our friend Darren, all got together and we played through uh, all 13, 15 hours of the first game um, in two sittings where we just passed the controller around. So every time somebody got frustrated or too scared, we would just hand the controller off to somebody else. Um, and I think we borrowed somebody's PS4 for it as well. Um, and that was just such a fun experience of like playing it all together with everybody. And I was so hooked on it the whole time uh, that it like kind of really, really imprinted. Um, yeah, and that's sort of how I initially got into the game. But after that, just the aesthetic of it, the story of it, I just couldn't stop reading about it, and I just like have fallen in love with the story ever since. Uh, so this game, is, it's won so many freaking awards. Oh, like, it it's is unreal. So uh, acclaimed. Um, it's called one of the greatest games of all time. Why do you think this specific game uh, deserves that distinction? Okay, so here's, I, I think it breaks down into four categories, and I'm going to really try not to, like, go off on crazy tangents here. So, like, help me stick to these four categories, okay? I got you. Thank you. Um, so I think it breaks down to some really incredible performances, um, some really incredible art and attention to detail. Hold on. Can we just go into each of them, like, a little bit one by one? Performances. What do you mean by performances? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically... First of all, um, one of the things that makes this game so good is it was really committed to the story it was telling, and part of the way it wanted to tell that story was through very good performances. So it hired two uh, two people, well, actually it hired a lot of actors, to go in and do mocap um, or motion capture, for those that don't know. Um, so the whole game was basically acted out in terms of their facial expressions, in terms of their performances. Um, neither of them look particularly like the character, but the entire performance of their characters is uh, done in real life. So was the voice actor the same as the physical actor? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, so um, they got to really play off each other and really embody the emotions of those characters in a way that video game characters don't always get to do. This wasn't the first game to do this, from what I understand. Again, not a video game historian, but uh, it was it was a very good example of them doing it right. Um, so the two people who were hired to do it, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, 
I want to double check that. Um, I know her name. I'm just overthinking it now. Um, just did an incredible job with their performances with each other. Like you can watch the raw footage um, of those mocap uh, sessions and just the commitment they have to each other and like the, the performances that they're putting in are so awesome and it really sells the story. And that was part of what Neil Druckmann really wanted from it is that he really wanted to sell the emotions of the story and the depth of the story. Um, and I think they really got that across. So they were very committed to trying to get those performances out. And there's a lot of fantastic voice actors in uh, prior games, but this one just like went as deep as it could on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, because so often I don't think the fi the people who are doing mocap or any of the physical performance are necessarily the people doing the voices because Not they always. all have different skills. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes it does happen, uh, but like they, they built like set pieces, they gave them props, uh, they gave them time to like play and do versions of these things. Did they make little mushroom people? I don't think they made Made little mushroom oh. people. No, I think that I think that was just in the di digital were they just stage. The, were they just the little tennis balls with a mushroom stuck to it? I don't know. I don't know no, that. I'm just part. picturing them holding a tennis ball and they taped like a porcini mushroom <laughs> on it and are chasing them. Honestly, hilarious. I really <laughs> wish that was the case. Um, one thing that is really funny though is if you go and you want to watch some of the the mocap stuff, you can watch the documentary, the behind the scenes documentary. I think it's called Grounded. Um, but at the end. Uh, I think one of their like very last shots that they were doing when they were filming the end of it, um, Neil Druckmann went up to um, Troy Baker and gave him a note uh, where he said, uh, I want you to do this as a musical. And so <laughs> then Troy Baker, being the only one who really knew this, uh, went in and they basically did a musical version of the ending of Last of Us, uh, which is all on tape. Oh it's my all recorded. God. So you can watch him sing his way through rescuing Ellie. It is so funny. Oh, my God. But I think that kind of space to play and that kind of like active direction, like that was all just so much a part of how you connected to these characters. Amazing. Okay, so that's one of the things. You yeah. said you had four. Yeah. So the next one, incredible art, attention to detail. The graphics are just freaking incredible. They're even better now with the, uh, the remake, the remake uh, because they took all the technology from part two and they've applied it to part one. That's nice. Oh my God. It's incredible. There are moments where like you can see droplets of water running down the guns. Like it's just, the detail is wild. Um, but one of the things I like the most about it from a concept art stage, they were always looking at like very, very specific um, reference art. They wanted it to feel really grounded. So like when you're in a city like Pittsburgh, for instance, they went to that city, they took reference photos. Um, like when you're in Boston, the underground in Boston looks like the subways. Cool. Like they, they mapped the city out so that the places you're going make sense. You don't have that weird, like out of time kind of feeling that you, or out of space kind of feeling that you can sometimes get yeah. in games. Um, it's very specific to how would this city actually fall apart? Sick. I've always wanted them to do a Toronto version because I really want to know what Toronto and the post-apocalypse would look like. Oh man, just walk outside right now. No, that's not true. <laughs> I can find true. you mushrooms here. There's definitely some disrepair. We Can we work on our, our, our streets? Yeah, There's let's so just get our holes. streets going. You know, bloaters will have a great time here. Anyway, the point <laughs> is that that kind of like attention to detail and the way they also built out the infected, like you're a big mushroom person. Yeah. <laughs> not, not as a, well... <laughs> As I just forager. think they're, they're fascinating. They are they're fascinating, alien, right? They're so cool. And so like in building the the 
infected, um, they studied a ton of mushrooms and how they grow and how they interact with each other. And I feel like you can really see that in the creature design. Yeah, the creatures are phenomenal. And I know we're not talking much about this show, but like it was so impressive as a person who's just interested in mycology. Oh, just totally. being like, oh my gosh, they like this the perfect seamless. Uh, integration of mushrooms and like a physical form. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, and they really thought through like how mushrooms work, how the cordyceps virus actually works in real life. Are they all cordyceps related or because some of them look like different mushrooms? But. Yes. So basically, um, it, visually, they're not all based on cordyceps. They're just although, based on different types of mushrooms. Correct. So like if you really stare at a bloater, you can be like, oh, hey, there's chicken of the woods. You know, yeah. <laughs> like you can see elements like yeah. in the in the design. I think cordyceps show up differently depending on the type of cordyceps. Probably. From what I remember of the Planet Earth documentary. Mm. Um, but just like the time and uh, like investment they put into building the world was with the intention of making it all feel extremely grounded. Um, and they achieved that, I think, in a big way because you really just can't help but feel like you're in the world. Uh, okay. Any other things that you think make it? So we've done, I think we did two. Two of your four. Yeah, things. that's okay. two of the four. This is really just the first question you've asked me. This so. is, I mean, it's exciting. It's ex like this, this game is very cool looking. It's very cool looking. And like you, you can see like it, it's so interesting because I feel as though it's such a dark subject matter. But for me anyway, when I'm in Last of Us environments, I always feel like they're deeply beautiful. Um, like you well, can be it's on. Nature, nature like enveloping um, people yeah. in the case of the the infected and the monsters, um, but also the city. Like it's just watching how nature can reclaim. Yeah, and I think they really like. There were a ton of influences from other post-apocalyptic um, stories yeah. on this, like Twenty Eight Days Later, The Walking Great. Dead. Um, Twenty Eight Days Later, so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, there's a, there's a ton of fiction that they looked into to sort of like figure figure this game out. But I feel like this just improves on so many elements of a lot of those things. And one of them is just the environment is so gorgeous. It's so gorgeously rendered, um, and it lends a sense of. Uh, not optimism. <laughs> optimism is probably the wrong word because it's some pretty desolate environments, but um, it, it lends a sense of like beauty. I mean, there's also some optimism in that, you know, we're in a time of global warming and the earth is in, on fire uh, and the idea that like nature doesn't really give a shit about us and can reclaim at any time. Yeah, that's I think that's of... maybe exactly it. Like, I think that's a really good point. That's what makes me feel weirdly comforted about post-apocalyptic media is that I find it... I always find it really beautiful and comforting to watch urban spaces get taken over by nature. Yeah, oh. I, I don't know why, because I've lived in a city my whole life. You think that that would make me feel unsettled, but it doesn't. No, I don't know. I feel the same way in that respect. Um, okay, I want to talk more about these these monsters, these creatures, though. Like, yeah. What do you think makes them so unique, so different, so alluring? Oh, oh, that's such a good question. I <clears throat> Thanks, you partly wrote it. Well, <laughs> hey now. Um... Uh, I think that, uh, well, they're, first of all, they're scary. They're so scary. Right? You, you, you're I scared don't, of them. Like, I, I think they're so pretty and they're so cool, but they're so scary. Well, what makes you scared of them? Oh, they're monsters. I don't know. Like, <laughs> they're monsters and they want to hurt me. I think what's really neat is they sort of uh, 
they have different threat levels and different threat approaches. So like with your average zombie, there's there's a method to how a zombie works, right? So like depending think, on your breed of zombie, like you true. have your fast zombies, yes. your slow zombies, your brain zombies, that's your, right, etc. Yeah, there's different like flavors, but most of them are zombie zombies. Yeah, right. Um, not a lot of zombies have evolution stages, and that's another thing they borrowed from nature. In this, is are this, they all evolutions of the same? Yes, basically. Oh, in the I lore, thought they were unique. No, um, in the lore, basically there are there are stages that you can turn into. So runners. Um, if they are left uh, runners for long enough, turn into clickers. And clickers that are left for long enough turn into bloaters. And stalkers are in there somewhere. I don't know where they are <laughs> in the evolution exactly. I, I've never quite been able to pinpoint that. The bloaters are the big daddy mushrooms. Uh, yep, the bloaters are the big daddy mushrooms. If you had listened to episodes a little while ago when I got real obsessed with the big daddy mushroom. <laughs> yeah, because there was a real guy who played it in a suit in the TV show. And he and was thick with yeah, two Cs. The internet got thirsty for the big daddy mushroom. <laughs> We're in a complicated time. <laughs> <laughs> We've opened in our houses too much. We're all um, getting horny for mushrooms. That's right. In so many ways. Um, but you know, you should get horny for mushrooms because they're beautiful. <laughs> they're beautiful and they're strange. And I think what was so smart about making these infected out of mushrooms is we don't understand mushrooms to begin with. You know? No, they're ba they're alien. They, like yes, we we understand bits of it, but the way that mushrooms work, uh, like it's so fascinating because they're just underground. Yeah. And the mycelium, the way it like connects to itself. Yeah. The stuff and, you like, see is only the genitals. Yes. That's that's the genitals. The things we call mushrooms are Our genitals. Just the real like mushrooms are under the sprouting ground. bodies or whatever they call them. Trees use them to talk to each other. Mushrooms are wild. It's wild. And they're neither plant nor animal. You know, we we don't understand them. And that is always just the best thing for a villain. And also we're genetically so similar to mushrooms that yeah. if we become infected with uh, fungi, it is very hard to kill that fungi yeah. without harming us. So, like, I think the best thing about fiction is when there is just enough of a grain of truth that it can really, like, pardon the pun, but sprout in your brain. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that noise! <laughs> Big Daddy Mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> Steph, you're one of the only people that I know who would be like, ooh, mushroom virus, sign me up. Mm, I'll take it. I'm in. Um, yeah, so I think that element makes it like the decomposition of mushrooms, the decay of mushrooms, they're all they're already so associated with death. And then you have the extra layer of, oh, these ones are sensitive to sound, so you have to stealth around them. These ones are fucking gigantic. I would, so I would die in a second if the one that was set off by sound. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, I have no hope. Those are my favorite in the game, the clickers. A lot of people absolutely hate them. Uh, but as someone who loves to You're stealth, good at stealthing in I games. Love, You're so good at stealthing I in games. I love stealthing in games because my 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 um, Twitch responses suck. So, <laughs> so if I have to shoot a bunch of people, I'm probably in trouble. So I love playing stealth. Uh, so I love the clickers. But the bloaters are fucking terrifying. There are a couple of moments in the in the game when, when you first encounter a bloater, it's just swearing all the way down. Because you haven't seen anything this big, and it's clearly going to rip you in half. Mm. Um, but the stalkers, which actually I think have been retconned into the first game, um, but were established in the second game, those guys are their own stealthy business. So like those, I don't know if you've seen any of those. They haven't showed up in the show yet. But and basically, no. they're sneaky. So they will pull off the wall, um, and then they'll follow you around. And you can't tell they're there. You have to listen for them. I hate that. Um, and so y y you, who are used to stealthing the clickers, now have to stealth 
the stealthy guys. No. And it's so scary. No. They're no. so scary. No. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of variety makes them so, so, so interesting, paired with the fact that they feel so real. Oh, they're just so beautiful. They're my favorite monsters Ugh. ever. Well, what do you – let's talk a bit about the TV show. What did you, as a fan of the game – you know, obviously there's the nerves coming with an adaptation going into a TV show. Uh, but what did you think of it? Like, do you think it got most of what you were hoping to see from it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in order to really address that, you have to address sort of the gameplay element of this, which okay. was my number three on these four things. Look at me tying that in perfectly. Oh, podcasting. Anyway, <laughs> um, I uh, I think – What's so remarkable about the game and the cinematics of the game are there's about 15 hours of gameplay. That's so short that's for a so huge short. title. That's so, so, so like, short. Like, as an RPG player, that's nothing. Yeah, like, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition has 100 hours. Easy. 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 Any um, Final Fantasy, just like, 40 to 80, easy. Yeah, so 15 hours is pretty damn manageable. But even with that, the cutscenes in Last of Us only make up about an hour of it, which is pretty good for a very cinematic game. Yeah. Right? That's not a lot of just sitting and watching something play out. Quite a lot of the time, you, the story is embedded in the gameplay. Um, so there's a lot of character work that's done between the two characters as they're going from place to place that just happens in like when you're wandering around and you see a sign and you and Ellie will comment on the sign or like when you're going you're picking up notes about the people in the area which is one of my other favorite things of the game is all of the like environmental storytelling is fucking phenomenal if you're ever playing the game pick up every goddamn note every single one of them they're all interesting anyway um, but like you can read notes and Ellie will comment on them right there's there's so many little like character moments a really good example is late in the game when you've there's a mechanic in the game where you lift Ellie up and she'll put something down for you to climb onto that thing. And you get so used to doing that throughout the game that you go up to a wall, you press triangle, you know she's going to get in your hands and you're going to toss her up. But later in the game, after Ellie's been through a lot, this is post the winter encounter um, with David, who is another incredible villain, speaking of monsters. Um, oh, but is that the, in the TV show with the, the cage? Cannib- that's the cannibal guy. Oh, yeah. um, so gross. Yeah, we can get into the human villains in a second if we want. But, um, but late in that game, after she's been through that encounter, you go up to a wall and you press triangle and you're just so on autopilot ready to toss her up and she doesn't show up. And then you look around and you see her just sitting on a bench and you can't continue with the gameplay unless you go over and you ask her what's wrong. And like little moments like that happen all the way through the game in terms of like in your combat, she'll come rescue you or you'll need to go rescue her. Um, There's little things she helps you with, the moments that you give her a gun, like that stuff all builds the relationship in a way that cutscenes can't. And that's why I was nervous about the TV show is because the time spent in that gameplay is part of the story. Mm. And it's part of what makes it such an incredible game. Yeah. They did a very good job, I think, with that of like engaging with the moments that really needed to be engaged with. I thought the performances were amazing. The casting was a big part of how they were going to make that work. Yeah. Um, where did this start? <laughs> <laughs> did you like the show? Did, did it stick the landing? I did. I did like the show. I do think it stuck the landing. There's a couple things I don't think work as well, uh, namely the ending. I don't think works mm-hmm. quite as well as it does in the game. Um, there's elements of it that I just don't think will ever work 
quite as well in the game because in the game you're the one who presses the button to do it. Yeah, you're making the active choices. Yeah, like a really good example is David, the cannibal guy. When Ellie goes to kill him in the game, you press the button. Um, so you have to feel that moment of of killing that guy after everything he put you through. Yeah. Um, and that immersive element makes such a difference mm-hmm. in how you feel about both of these characters. I think despite that, it is very obvious that Craig Mazin, the um, showrunner, and Neil Druckmann really, really thought through how to convey those emotions on screen. Um, yeah, I feel like I could do a whole other thing just on the adaptation and what they changed and what they didn't. Yeah. Um, but I really do think that they tried to make sure those story moments were as compelling as possible. And I think they did improve on a couple things from the story. Oh, like what? Uh, uh, Bill you can't and- drop that in nuts. Say what? <laughs> Bill and Frank. Oh my gosh, episode three of yeah, the show. Yeah, how did you feel about that episode? Oh, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful, I, right? That, this show, it was a bit unfair of how much it made me cry. Yeah. I cried in multiple episodes of this show. Yeah. And I was like, this is a, a spooky mushroom show. Why am I crying? <laughs> yeah. Why am I crying so much? Welcome uh, to Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, it was heartbreaking. And I think, uh, I assume in the game, it's the same thing as in the show where there's just so much morally gray. Yes. So much is morally gray. Because what would you do in those circumstances when you're trying to fight for the survival of your not just yourself, your community, your friends, your family? You know, what levels are you willing to go to yeah. to keep the people you love safe? Yeah. How, and, how far will you go to survive? Yeah. And uh, you go far. Right. Some people make some choices that not everyone agrees with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like... That is so different in the game because in the game, Bill is alone, very alone. Yeah. And you do find the uh, dead body of his lover Mm. and you find a note that he left saying he hates Bill um, and you can give him that note. Ellie picks up the note and you can choose to give it to Bill. Why would you give it to Bill? That's Um, so mean. And if you give it to Bill, you watch him read it and then- That's awful. Just grumble and throw it away. Obviously, so brutally hurt by it. Um, but you see this, and that's that's one of the things this game does so well is it tells these mini stories within the game without ever making them the story. Yeah. And I f- felt like that moment of deciding to commit a whole episode to one of those mini stories was very in the soul of the game. Yeah. Because those stories about why we survive, why we fight to save who you can save is part of the point. And why you might not fight. Exactly, right? So I think getting to see an alternate version of Bill and Frank not only was like a cool improvement on the representation, you know, gay people are allowed to die in media, but boy, have we done a whole lot of it. And it's nice to see us not die sometimes. Um, But also it really illustrates the point of save who you can save. Yeah. Um, And that relationship very much mirrors Ellie Ellie and Joel. Yeah. Right? Um, so let's talk a bit about the fandom. Um, you know, uh, gaming subcultures are usually, uh, not always, but can often become quite toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this is a story about a big, strong, strapping man taking along a young woman. Um, do you find that this fandom leans into that toxicity at all? Okay. So. Cause I, I mean, I've, without having played the game and only watching show, I, have read a lot about how people feel about 
some elements of the second game. Absolutely. So uh, this is, uh, you know what, I'm going to just seed this into reason number four why I think this is a really phenomenal game. Oh, we, um, we nailed all four from that first yeah, question. Yeah, oh, I nailed it. Oh, we came back um, to it. Which is sort of like money, prestige, and the datification of games. Datification, not dadafication. Yes, dadafication. Dada, not dadification? Uh, well, dadification, yes. Is it about dads or it's is it about, about dadaism, the art? It is not about dadaism. It is also not data with a D. Okay. Okay. It is the dad, Daddy. as in father, yeah. ification of games. Okay, let's go. Um, I did not invent this, to be clear, why I'm using this confusing for audio term. <laughs> um, um, this is a phenomenon that somebody else much smarter than me identified, which is that there is a generation of uh, fathers, or there's a generation of men in the gaming industry that are growing up becoming fathers and embedding that into gaming. Yep. Um, you're seeing a trend of lots of like dads in games becoming the main characters. Like what else? Um, a good example is God of War has done this recently. He's um, a dad? Yeah, he's a dad. Well, okay. Yeah, and he is has a son and Kra he, Kratos? Kratos. Kratos. Yeah, I think Kratos is how you say it. I haven't actually played God of War. Mm. Um, there's other examples that I can't think of right now. Great. Really, I probably should have looked them up if I was going to make this point. Great. But, does Mario um, have a baby? <laughs> um, he's got a dad bod. Yeah, he does. That's true. Sorry, he's, please continue. Big dad energy. I think about daddies in, <laughs> in video games. Big daddy mushrooms. Um, so uh, around the same time this is happening, Prestige TV is happening. So you're getting things like Sopranos, Breaking Bad, um, so on and so forth. The big anti-hero kind of movement. Yes. Um, and they wanted to take some of that prestige TV movement um, and embed it in this game. And you can really see that. Uh, Joel is not necessarily a good dude. He's... I wouldn't say he's not necessarily a good dude. He's not a good dude. Yes. He is redeemed by Ellie, but the loss of his daughter at the very beginning, um, a... Is he redeemed by her? Well, he, uh, he is starting to be redeemed. Okay. That's it. We'll talk about the ending in a second, I think. I'm just talking straight up from, from the beginning of the game where it's like, we know that Joel is a murderer for hire. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Like, well, that's not from the very beginning. At the very, very beginning, when the outbreak starts, he loses his daughter. No, I know, but in that beginning, do they not uh, imply that he is also oh, a murderer? he's a thief. He's, yeah, he... He's he, a bad, bad boy. He's a bad man. Yeah, he, he's a bad man. They imply it differently in the show than they do in the game. Okay, but, fair. But the implication is still, he has no problem killing people yeah. for his own benefit. Yeah. Um, he is not a good person. Okay. Um, but much like Breaking Bad, a lot of fans struggle with that. Um, you don't say. Yeah, I think it's it's a common problem in a lot of things. You can see it with Rick and, Rick and Morty. You can see it with Mad Men. You can see it with, with Breaking Bad of just because a character is the protagonist doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them justifiable, mm -hmm. right? Um, succession. Succession, right? There's tons of finance bros who love Succession and think it's about a bunch of plucky heroes doing their best. Oh, boy. Which is so funny to me. such a choice. Um, and, you know, I far be it for me to say you're watching your media wrong, but if you're like, Joel's a good guy, he's never done anything bad, everything he's ever done is is justified, I just, I just, I'm just like, what? What, what game are you watching? So for me, Ellie is uh, as much a protagonist of this game as he is. Yes. Uh, you play as Joel, but Ellie is very much a massive part of it. Yeah. And you do play as Ellie for a while. So I think the toxicity that there's a... 
like no fandom is 100% toxic. There's a lot of awesome stuff in the Last of Us fandom. There's a huge queer contingent in the Last of Us fandom, which really comes out with the second game, which I cannot talk about um, because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But I think it is that same toxic instinct to be like, Walter White's a good guy. Um, the same toxic instinct to watch Rick and Morty and be like, Rick's a genius. Um, that just like Joel isn't right all the time. He's a bad man who had bad things happen to him and bad things follow him um, because he did bad things. Yeah. And I know that's a very simplistic way to look at it, um, but a lot of people get upset with some of the things that happen in later games in particular. Um, and I get that you get attached to someone, but it doesn't make them right. No, it doesn't. Uh, and I think it's important as a consumer of media to understand nuance and to understand that someone can be heroic in an instant while still being a bad person. Which is what's so awesome about this game is yeah. that there are no, there there really is no black and white with the exception of infected, probably okay to kill and don't be a cannibal. Yeah. Those, are, those are kind of the black and white elements of this game. Yeah, those ones we all agree on. Yes. And if you don't agree on those... Yikes! Yeah, and as just like a total nerd, I love Shades of Grey. I love things where you're like, ah, there's just no, there's no solid yes or no answer yeah. in this game of what should, what's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, also a lot of people really got mad at the fandom because the second game is, I say this in big air quote, quotes, super woke because there's gay people and strong women. Did you know that that means you're woke if you have strong women? Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> It I, doesn't. Once we do a Last of Us Part 2 episode, I will go all the way off on this particular and subject. I, I believe you. Um, because I have made myself mad online many <laughs> times. Um, but I won't go too far into that. It's the typical gaming thing of uh, man good and strong and uh, always right if I man. Woman small, weak, need save. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is going to be a spoiler-heavy question. Yes. Um this is a spoiler for the end of the series and the game, uh, yeah. first game. Do you think Joel did the right thing? This is like beautifully the big question of this series. And you can answer this too because you have seen the show. Yes. I'm curious what you would say having watched the show. Oh, I mean, I don't think there is a right thing. I right? don't think either way is right because – you know, well, what what is what we're talking about? If you are if you don't want spoilers, fast forward this for like a couple minutes. Um, Joel goes. So the fireflies, right? That's yeah. what they're called. Yeah. They want Ellie so that they can experiment on her to try to find a cure for uh, this infection. Yeah. They want to uh, extract her, uh, her immunity yes. to the fungus. Yes. Yes. Uh, so they've got her in a hospital and they're going to dissect her basically yeah. uh, to be able to save all these people. Joel says, fuck that, uh, goes on a rampage and kills a bunch of doctors Tons during of uh, this huge infection. So, I mean, obviously there's the side of like, well, he's ruined any chances that people could survive. There's also the side of nobody knows if this actually will work. They yes. think it might work, but is it worth killing someone for that chance? Maybe. Typical trolley problem. Maybe not. Yep. Like if I were in his situation, I, I don't even know. I might uh, let them try it for the sake of humanity, but also like as a person who has lost their child and this person is now basically their child, like how, how does a parent let that happen? Right. And that's what's so complicated. And that's where you're like, I, I, there is no right. Yeah. And it's especially interesting because in the game, 
this is one thing that I think will never be replicated in a TV show. In the game, not only are you the one doing the rampage, um, but when you get into that room with the doctors, you can't not shoot the doctor. Ugh. You you don't have an option. You cannot grab Ellie and go and leave the doctor alive. You must shoot the doctor. Is there any way to end the game without? Nope. You, so nope. you have to kill the and doctor. And some people kind of complain about the you're on the rails element of Last of Us, but I think like well, for it's me, a storytelling. Like it's yeah. not a choose your own adventure. Yeah, <laughs> it's a story. Well, a lot of people want that from games, but I think that's the, what role, role playing games are for. Yeah, <laughs> I I think what I love about the fact that you can't choose that you have to shoot it is it puts you in Joel's shoes. Joel cannot not do it. Yeah, that's where his character is, and they've spent the entire game justifying yep. that of trying to get in his get you in his head and understand how hard this loss has been for him. Yeah, um, you can't not shoot the doctor because that is not what Joel can do in that moment. Yeah, and I think they really tried to get that across in the show the way they sort of like took all the sound out and I made think it, it came automatic. across in the show. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think uh, I think it's just the weight of what he chose to do didn't quite hit because they had to get a lot done in that final episode yeah. and it felt very fast. It didn't really feel as as uh, heavy yeah. as it does in the game where you're really, really well, pushing you're through. you're doing it. Because you're doing it. Yeah. And I think that, like, it's the same reason horror is so effective in games is that, like, you have to be the one that moves forward. Yeah. You're the one who has to be the one who presses you have the to, button. Yeah, you have to force yourself to do it and not just throw yes. your controller and run into another room like some of us did during Bioshock. Y- yeah, exactly. And <sighs> it makes the ethical questions of the game so much more compelling um, because they're yours. Yeah. Right? All right, without spoilers, what do you think people can expect from part two, um, the show? Okay, so I've thought immensely about this um, because part two has a very interesting format. I am going to speak in code. If you have seen part two, uh, if you've played through part two of the game, um, you will mostly understand what I mean here, but I and will I not... And I do know what you mean in this yes. case because we've talked about and this I, mechanic. But I, yeah, will not spoil anything. Um, there's a lot of time jumping in the second game. Um, so I think if... I think they will be splitting up the second game um, into two parts, uh, into two seasons, which we know they're going to do. Um, I think they're going to do a bunch of what we see as flashbacks in the game as the second season, along with introducing some of the characters we meet in game two. Will that feel satisfying, though, if it's mostly in flashbacks? I, I don't think it will be in flashbacks in the show. Okay, okay. It will be real time in the show because there are things in the game that you learn throughout the game that are flashbacks. I get, okay, but are the flashbacks going before the infections start or are they flashbacks between part one oh, and part two? Oh, no, no, two? they're between part one and part two. Okay, okay. That's I was why like, I, I don't, that seems so anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, no, the flashbacks are between the events of part one and Got what, it. what you actively play in part two. Beautiful, thank you. I think they're going to turn that into the second season and they're going to end it with a very climactic thing that happens closer to the beginning of Got the, it. the second game. That's all I'll say about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's my theory. And then I think the uh, repercussions from that action will form season three. Cool. That's my theory with no spoilers. I could go into more detail. We do know for sure they're making it into two seasons, though. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. All right, what's the nerdiest thing you've done in relation to this fandom? Um, make you talk about it uh, with me <laughs> on this uh, podcast. Um, I, I, look, it, it's hard because uh, I think I got 
really, really deep into this when I played the second game. Yes. Um, I loved the first game. I loved it for a long time. I read a lot about it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm not someone who goes back and plays it on the hardest mode because I suck at video games. As it is, I barely get through these games. I'm in it for the story. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I'm just so obsessed with all of the design details of this game. But when I played the second one, it like caught me so deeply, especially because we played it. I It came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. So I had nothing but time to get completely obsessed with it. Um, can I think, confirm, can confirm. Can, can confirm, can confirm. Yeah, um, definitely lost sleep over that one. Um, <laughs> but I would say the nerdiest thing I've done is either stand at a distance while Troy Baker was at... Uh, fan expo yep, can confirm um can and confirm. just sort of i was stare very excited <laughs> and and just think that's joel to myself didn't go over we no, did not go see him or meet him there was a line we had we had hobbits to meet <laughs> to be fair story, yes. we, we had a big day but yes. uh but i did look at him from a distance and go wow um <laughs> and also i consider on a nearly weekly basis getting a last of us tattoo do it I mean, I'm fully tattooed. Yeah, I, I know you I'm, are. I'm going to tell everyone. Anyone listening, get a tattoo. It's fun. I kind of want to get a moth for, for Ellie um, Ooh, and the second game. Not a mushroom? No, I don't what think I'm on their What if you just got like side? a bit of mushroom on your face? <laughs> no, oh, you, do you want that? Yeah. Do you want to be dating someone with a mushroom tattoo on their face? Honestly, it would match me it, pretty you're, well. You're right. I'm, I'm I don't know if you're the it. right person to ask. <laughs> about, you're not the right litmus test oh, for no, this. Oh, no. All right. We're about to get into some hot takes. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by tpublic.com, where you're going to find your next favorite tea. Uh, they have unique and nerdy designs that you can get on T-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, mugs, stickers, phone cases, and truly so much more. Like if you go on there and you find a design you like, you can get it on pretty much anything you can think of. The best part about it is you can customize everything about these t-shirts. Do you want like it to be design, like those like baseball shirts that have a colored sleeve and like a that. plain center? You can do that. You want it to be on like some soft ass fabric? You can do you that. You can make a pillow for your house of anything. You sure can. If you're like, hey, I love this design, but I want it in red, guess what? You got it in red. It's red. It's red. Um, and that's the best thing about it is because you you get exactly the t-shirt you want, which means it's going to be your next favorite t-shirt. Speaking of those designs, they're all made by indie artists and they're all getting a fair commission for their work. So you are also supporting art while rocking a cool ass t-shirt. Look, I was looking at a shirt that Kaya got from Tee Public not that long ago. It's an Alex Trebek shirt, and I think about stealing it every single time I it's see awesome. it. It's awesome. It's the greatest shirt. Yeah. So please head on over to tpublic.thefandomshow.com. Check out all of our merch and favorite designs from Tee Public. And a reminder that we do post a design from each of the episodes that we do, so you can get some fun extra fandom uh, with your T-shirt. So that's tpublic.thefandomshow.com. And thank you so much, Tee Public, for your support. All right. Now we're getting into some hot takes. I've crawled the internet. I've clicked through, clickered through Ooh. the internet uh, to go through everyone's bloated opinions uh, about... Not wrong. About, <laughs> <laughs> about the last one. Truly, I will say, it was tricky to find stuff simply about part one because part two is so polarizing. But por part one is almost universally beloved. It really is true. Yeah. So I don't know how hot these takes are. I tried really hard. Okay, uh, so everyone raved about how good the opening of The Last of Us game was and how it was the best part. I was super hyped to play it, but it was slow and boring and obvious. I played no further because if that's the best it has, the rest must be awful. No! I'm so sad for this person. Um, you know what? I, I think a lot of people uh, were shocked by the beginning of it because, like, what game starts that way? And yeah. it's the same as the beginning of the show for the most part. Yeah, um, starts there are with obviously his differences, but people getting infected, panicking, running away, and then his, his daughter, daughter dies, dying brutally at brutally. the hands of a uh, human, yeah. not even a infected. Yes, um, and it's 
incredibly difficult to watch. Um, but it is s- slow and thoughtful. Yeah. Um, I think if somebody hypes that beginning up for you so hard, then you a go in knowing it's going to be uh, it's going to be you brutal, know, Im- impactful, and that instantly lessens the impact. Um, and you expect it to be incredible. What made it incredible is that there was no beginning of a game like that, yeah. at least not in AAA gaming. Um, and that's what blew people's minds about it. Yeah, I can see why going in you'd expect. But there's so much more to the game than the beginning, and like the beginning is just the beginning. That's yeah. by no means was that. Oh, I'm so disappointed for that person. Oh. Play the game, person. Play the game. Play the game, person. All right, uh, this one actually got from uh, Twitter. Um, it's The Last of Us is the greatest game of the PS3 generation, and by extension, the remaster for the PS4 generation. Correct. However. It's the last good game Naughty Dog made. Uncharted 4 lost the spark. Last of Us 2 is like bizarre outsider art. Uh, this game is cursed. Uh, and I was like, what does that mean, this game is cursed? And said, I know it's a cliche, but maybe Last of Us Part 1 was too good. It was so successful that money became no object and all editorial guidance was removed. So all the follow-ups were much worse. So it's the curse of success. They did something great, but can never do it again. I strongly disagree. First of all, Uncharted, the later Uncharted are probably not great because they're like eh, like episodes four and five in a series or more. I'm not super familiar with the Uncharted series. Yeah, man, series. what movie is still good at right, number exactly. three or four or that five? That feels like an unfair claim. Like very rarely do games get only better and better and better and better as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, some exceptions like Dragon Age. Dragon Age, uh, the, third the third one. one is great. Way better than the second one. Right. Um, but like, uh, I don't know if a lot of people would say that Mass Effect 3 was the best of the series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, internet does not think the that. The internet does not think that, right? Um, Mass Effect 2, better than 1. You know, it, it's it, it's impossible to say there's no like one formula with that. And I would beat this, this criticism by saying the technology they developed in Last of Us 2, which by the way, is a hardly weird outsider art, and even if it was, good. Uh, (laughs) Good, I am that weird outsider, it's for me. Yeah, the fact that Last of Us 2 developed such incredible technology that they applied it to Last of Us 1 inherently implies that Last of Us 1 was made better by the second one. Mm. So I guess the second one wasn't totally useless and was, in fact, really good. Is there going to be a third? Uh, No, it hasn't been confirmed. I think there will be. Okay. Um, But uh, they have uh, stayed silent on the matter for now, which I completely get because as soon as they say they're going to make it. Oh, then you end up with like the people like me for Dragon Age. You're like, I will not stop thinking about it. Just give me content. And I haven't stopped thinking about it and they haven't even confirmed it yet. So plus they now have the show to contend with. And so if they say they're making a third, I suspect they don't want to get rushed out to make it. Yeah. Uh, Like a Game of Thrones. Exactly. Because then you get Game of Thrones. And then we all sit here waiting to find out what the fuck happened. Happened. One day I want to do a Game of Thrones episode with you, Steph, where you and I just get into what went wrong Look, there. I love Game of Thrones. Me and too. Like, I think, yeah, that's a you and me episode because so much went wrong and there's so... I've, we have to stop because I cannot get into the this. The thing is, I still love so much of that series. We have to stop, Kaya. That's, a, that's an episode We for have later. to stop. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> Joel didn't make the hero choice and the game is better because of it. The world doesn't deserve the cure, let alone Ellie dying for it. I... St- 
strongly agree with the first part of that, and I love the second part of it. I, I don't think there is a way to agree or disagree, but it's a question the game asks. I think that's my one of my favorite parts of this game is every part of the game asks you a question. It does not give you an answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think whether or not humanity and the world is worth saving is definitely a question it asks. Because yeah. um, a lot of people act real shitty. A lot of people, most of the major villains of the game are, are people. people yeah. Are David, are the, like, the Well, the show had so few actual monsters threatening yep. them. It's almost always people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very much a Walking Dead formula. That was kind of Walking Dead's intent yeah. is that the enemies were, the zombies are only a circumstance. The enemies are humans. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely a feature of this game as well. But then also, on the other hand, you have the deep relationships formed by Joel and Ellie. Yeah. Um, at, or by like Sam and his brother, right? Oh, um, that part made me cry so much. Oh, that part is brutal. Oh, I did not. I could not. It, ugh, ugh, ugh. It's so, so, so sad. It's just as sad in the game. It absolutely wrecks you. Um, but then there's also in the game all of this environmental storytelling, all these notes, all these letters you get of people and how much they loved each other or cared each other, cared, cared for each other or betrayed each other, right? Yeah. Um, so the question is, of is humanity worth saving for one person is a question philosophers have been asking since the dawn of time, and I'm certainly not smart enough to answer. <laughs> Fair. All right. Part one had so many useless combat sections. Sometimes you aren't given time to properly process a cutscene because of attack. It's yeah. all in capitals, I have to say. Attack is in capitals. That's why I said it that way. <laughs> you know what? I think you read it that way. Yeah. I loved it. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I... It's so funny to get one argument that it's too slow and one argument that That's it's too, too fast. fast. Um, I think the pacing works for me, yeah. personally. I think I would need to know exactly what circumstances they're talking Got about. Got it. They weren't specific. This is a fairly, like, standout, yeah. standalone opinion. But I would say one of the things I love about the pace of storytelling is that it really keeps you unnerved all the time. And you're always, you do always have this sense that something's coming. Uh, and I think that's part of understanding why these characters are the way they are. Yeah. Um, so for me, I kind of like that you're constantly destabilized. I think if you had a moment to sit and breathe and like uh, absorb things, the that's game wouldn't be real. doing its job. That's not real. Because they don't. Yeah. All right. This is an interesting one now having talked through the first half because you used the word grounded a lot. Uh, so grounded is the way to play the game and it is the best possible experience. Okay, so this is one really cool thing about these games is that they have, uh, they are one of the best in the world in terms of accessibility. Specifically, the second game won a slew of awards on accessibility and different ways that you can play the game. So you can like put settings so that objects stand out. You can make things easier or harder depending on whether you have sensory uh, issues or impairments. Um, and one of the things that Is I really love- Is there an love, anxiety mode <laughs> that I could play it on? Well, easy. Okay. Um, and actually, <laughs> actually, there are a lot of accessibility things in the second game that would like warn you of certain things like that will make things easier if you Beauty. don't like jump scares. I don't. Um, I know. Uh, that's why I always have I to play cry. these things alone. <laughs> or, um, but uh, But yeah, I think one of the really, things I really appreciated about it is, as a non-gamer is, um, or as a, uh, again, shitty gamer, uh, is that it has easy mode. It has sort of like a story mode. It has, uh, but then as you escalate, it gets into grounded mode. And grounded mode, you can't use any of your listening powers that help you listen through walls and see where enemies are and strategize. You can't use any of that. Um, it has a very sparse amount of uh, supplies. 
Um, so it's basically playing as grounded as you possibly can. And then there's also a mode on top of that, I think that's called survival. That might also be grounded mode. I don't know because I have not played either because I would die instantly. <laughs> Dying is part of my survival strategy in games. Um, I, think, I think you're probably correct, person, that it's probably a really compelling way to play the game because the stakes would feel so high. Yeah but I can't confirm because I'm not good enough at gaming to play it. So I trust you. I envy you, but I, I simply cannot, cannot confirm or deny. All right. This is my last hot take. Uh, I feel like it was a bit too short for me to feel as much emotional connection as I should have. When Joel tells Ellie she isn't his daughter and they argue after that, there are only about nine hours left of story. And it just didn't feel like there was enough time in, in that space to make me deeply love their bond and believe it. Um, I, You're laughing, which is funny because I don't know what, like, I don't have any context for this. Well, I, you know what? I think it's just funny to me because as I said before, I, I would like to reiterate, I think games are phenomenal, a phenomenal art form. I, I'm not, not uh, knowledgeable about them because I don't like them. I think they're phenomenal. Um, but as a TV person, I only had nine hours to get to know these characters. It's very funny to me. Um, like that is such a gamer take um, of gamers being like, well, if I don't have a hundred hours, then I simply can't get to know them. <laughs> like, like it, you're right. It's a short game by game standards, but 15 hours is a, is that's a good season that's a, that's for a, a show. That's a season of TV. Um, that's fact, like an old sitcom season. Yeah. In fact, the season of The Last of Us is half of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that seemed to work. I, I do feel like the show felt too short for me. Mm. Um, but I think if, for me, if you are maximizing all of those moments, if you're really sitting with, like, exploring the world um, and Reading not just notes. going straight, exactly, and not just going straight from encounter to encounter to encounter, which is a way to play, um, then I think there's enough there. Uh, for me, anyway, I felt very satisfied by it. Great. What's your hottest take on The Last of Us Part 1? Um, what's my hardest, hottest take? I I think it, this is hard because I think my hottest take is that The Last of Us Part 1 is an amazing game. Um, but there are some things The Last of Us Part Two does better. Um, and I will say that, like, the the narrative, the way they tell the narrative is incredible in the first game. Um, but it doesn't do anything narratively wild, which is what makes it good because games weren't weren't doing a whole lot of that. it's It's specific to the medium. Um, but I do think there are some swings that are taken in the second game that are awesome. Um, and there's nothing to that effect in the first game, which is fine. That's not what I need from it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's hard because my hot take is the people who, uh, who think the second one is just bad or wrong. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I will say, I think this is, this is my hot take that I think a lot of people wouldn't agree with even watching the show. I think it, it has more optimism than people give it credit for. Oh. I think it's more beautiful than people give it credit for. I think a lot of people love to like sort of write it off as bleak. And there are certainly I mean, it's bleak a, It's moments. very bleak. Yeah, I, I no, no argument there. But I think the bleakness has moments that are so well balanced with it. Like when I think of The Last of Us, I don't think of the moment with Sam and the kid dying. Okay. I don't think of that moment. Uh, sometimes I do, but what I really <laughs> think of it of when I think of the last, last of us is the giraffe. 
the moment with the giraffe when like they get to Salt Lake City and they see this herd of giraffe roaming um, and Ellie and Joel just pet the giraffe or look at the giraffe and you can just stand there in the game for as long as you want to. That's They'll nice. never, they won't stop you. Yeah. And there's moments like that in the second game too. And I think those moments are what makes The Last of Us what it is. The whole thing is about what is life for? Yeah. Why do we try and survive? What, what do we like? What are we willing to do to survive? And, and more importantly, the, one of the biggest uh, sentiments of it is when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. And that in itself is a optimistic philosophy yeah. uh, in a very dark world. And to me, it's not uplifting by any means, but it is more optimistic than it gets credit for. Very nice. It's a, I, I don't know if it's a hot take. But I don't know if it's a hot certainly take. certainly a take. It's a take that you have. <laughs> All right. At the end of every episode, we like to share our micro fandoms of the week, which we're going to do in one hot little mushroom moment. Why did I say that? <laughs> but before we do, here are some other ways you can connect with us. You can follow us on social media at Fandom Show Pod. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Blue Sky. I'm not on, uh, I'm on threads. I don't know what to do with it. Um, or you can find us at our website at thefandomshow.com. Please also tell your nerdiest friends about us. And please, 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 I know we ask this every single episode, but it would really, seriously, truly help us if you gave our show a little rate, review, or subscribe. Absolutely. Uh, specifically, a review. If you can go on to Apple Podcasts or any podcast provider, give us a little star rating, and if you could write a couple sentences about yep. us, it's going to help people find this show. And we just want to share the love of fandoms with Everyone. Fandoms can be anything. And we think that there's value in every single one. And we want to share that with you. So please tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell yep. your doctor, we tell your dog. every single one of we them. We read everyone and um, we appreciate every very single much one. So. And if you want to write, if you want, if you want us to give you a review right now, you can write something about Big Daddy Mushroom. There oh, you go. Big We'd Daddy love Mushroom, that. a thicky mushroom. Mm, thicky boy. <laughs> um, you can also find us on the From Superheroes Discord where you can meet other fans or hit us up directly. Um, we also have merch. Uh, you can find that on the fandom show.tpublic.com there we go and uh, you can snag our faces on your favorite things like shirts mugs and more and our theme song is by Yusu Kim and our logo is by John Blair alright Kaya we're going micro fandoms for the week start it, will you just start with uh, me let's start with you what, what are you fanning? In this exact moment, I'm fanning out uh, about all the people that come on this podcast and talk about their fandoms because I'm currently sitting here being like, did I say enough? Was I smart <laughs> enough? Did I get it right? Um, and I understand now very viscerally because when we've done our solo episodes, it's usually something we're both a fan yeah. of. Yeah. And I feel like I, uh, I, I feel like I now understand what it's like being in the seat and being like, but what if I don't do it good? I'm like, terrified so to much be. I didn't say. I'm terrified to do one of my fandoms for the same reason. Right. I and so like. But I, it's about your own love. Yes, exactly. And I I feel like there's a thousand other things I could say about this, but I you know what I'm really fanning out about anybody who's willing to come on and like really really get into it about our fandoms. I'm in a, I'm a, I'm on a real subculture kick. That's you beautiful. Know? Uh, it's a bit of a sappy answer, but here we are. Um, Steph, what is your micro fandom for this week? Mine is not even close to as nice or profound as yours. Uh, Was that profound? I don't know. Uh, so friend of the podcast, uh, Carl Shura, uh, shared in a conversation thread, an image of a baby Yoda, uh, dressed up in like a sassy little outfit with a little wig mm -hmm. on. And I was like, what the heck is this? Because Kai and I had a long running joke ages ago that baby Yoda was our child. Yes. Uh, it went it, on it longer. It continues to this day in our home. Honestly, if you want to scroll back in my Instagram, uh, Stephanie underscore Malik, you can see this. I truly just 
made posts like he was our actual child just for fun. Um, I needed some laughs. But, uh, it was a dark time. He posted this picture, and I was like, what is it? And he's like, it's this thing called the Mamaloreans. And what it is is people who buy the Baby Yoda dolls and dress them up in various ways. Sometimes they take them out in the world. Sometimes they just pose them. It is one of the fucking funniest things. I cannot get over it. I, I just, every time I see one of these photos, it makes me want to cry laughing. I think they're so funny, so silly, so joyful in like the goofiest way. They take them to Disney World. Oh I don't know, God. man. I love it. Mama Lorians. Look it up on Instagram. It is a joy if you just need some good laughs. Oh, can I add one more thing to my to my fandom thing? My goodness. Um, speaking of uh, fun, adorable shit, um, Bella <laughs> Ramsey and Pedro Pascal, just on the theme of Last of Us, their relationship. It just if find anything about them online. They are the cutest. In researching for this episode, which I did a little tiny bit, um, I just like everything they say about each other is the most adorable, and it makes me so happy. Uh, Kaya. Yeah. Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Oh, Lord. I do this podcast. It's called Fandom Show. You coward. Listen to it. You Review coward. it. Um, if you you're are. in Toronto, I'm doing a pirate show in the fall yeah. ca- called Our Flag Means Blank that you are producing, Steph. Yes. It's based on uh, Our Flag Means Death, a show we both love, and it's on a real-ass pirate ship. Yeah, and a show that we are go- going to do an episode for as soon as the uh, next season is ready to air. I'm so excited yep. to talk about it. Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm so stoked. Um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. Till next time, love the things you love. Tell everyone about them and watch out for mushrooms. Mushies. Mushies. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's not what, in fact, No, it like. I don't know what they sound like. It's more of a, like, clicky. More like, click. bye. I'm a mushroom. No, no, no. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. The Fandom Show is produced by Andrew Ivamy as part of the From Superheroes Network. For more great podcasts like this, as well as webcomics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.